This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right. Welcome to the mom room. I am here with one of your favorite guests. It is my husband. People love his silky, smooth voice. Dr. Pre, thanks for coming back on the podcast. It's nice to be here. There's a different, different setup. Yeah. We are in studio. There's lights and cameras It's not a big deal. We're not anxious at all. Today, we're going to be talking about a very important topic that I don't think gets discussed enough, and that is bedwetting. We're kind of like a dream team when it comes to bedwetting because I have the psych background. I'm very much into putting myself into Milo's shoes, really overthinking everything, being reflective. And then you come from the medical perspective when it comes to bedwetting. And yeah, we did go through bedwetting with our son shortly after he finished potty training. So in this episode, before I get into our experience, just want to let you guys know we're going to be talking about protecting children's confidence and self-esteem if they are going through bedwetting. Because that's something that I don't think a lot of people think about when their child is experiencing bedwetting, how much it can affect their confidence. We're also going to talk about how to create a supportive environment for your child, address some bedwetting myths, and then also how we can prepare for situations like travel, maybe they're going on a tournament for their sports team, going to sleepover camp, and also just sleepovers at relatives' houses or friends' houses, because obviously those things will be a little bit more anxiety-inducing if they are going through something like bedwetting. So a little bit about our experience with bedwetting. It happened shortly after he was fully potty trained, and I remember I wasn't even thinking about it as being a possibility. And then it happened a handful of times. And now looking back on how we responded to it, I'm like, wow, like we handled it perfectly. And I don't know, did you realize that at the time? We didn't realize that he was going to be dry during the day. And then at nighttime, we'd be waking up because he's, you know, he's screaming because he's cold and and he's just wet the bed. But I, I think, you know, looking at it from a different perspective, like when you're the parent of a child that's going through that, it's different than if you're seeing them, you know, if I was seeing them in the office or seeing a patient, it's a very kind of singular interaction rather than, you know, going through all of the different aspects that are involved with it. Yeah. And you're more emotional about it, I'm sure, when it's your own child and you're being woken up at three in the morning. (laughs) I would hope so. (laughs) Yeah. So how we handled it, and again, like this is just what we decided in the moment and it felt right was after it happened maybe three times, we just decided to use good nights consistently, regardless of if, you know, he was dry for four nights. It's not like we took them away. We just wanted it to be a consistent part of the nighttime routine. And... Used to call him his his nighttime undies. His nighttime underwear. Like, that's how we phrased it. It wasn't like 
oh, you're, you know, you're wetting the bed at night. Like you're, you're going to have to wear these now. It was just like, okay, like how can we best support him through this and also normalize it and not make him feel bad about it, feel embarrassed. And so really using good nights consistently meant that we could go to bed not stressed out about whether we were going to be woken up in the middle of the night and having to change bedding. And the worst part was seeing him be upset. And that's one thing I wanted to point out is regardless of how the parents react in the moment, because I know for us, we were so careful to be over the top, like positive, like, oh my God, it's not a big deal. This is totally fine. Like, But you have to be intentional about doing that. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And I think we were, but at the end of the day, regardless of how the parent is reacting, the child is still upset. It's a startling, upsetting thing to wake up in the middle of the night soaking wet. So yeah, that's how we handled it. And then, you know, as we'll get into, he eventually just grew out of it on his own naturally. And he actually ended up telling us when he... Didn't need them anymore. Yeah, which was kind of cute, but... That was our experience with it, and we will talk more about that, I'm sure, as we go through these topics. So the biggest thing I think we should start with is what is the difference between potty training and bedwetting? I think a lot of parents assume that they go hand in hand. They think like, oh, we've reached this milestone, my child is fully potty trained, and then they almost look at bedwetting as taking a step backwards from potty training, which again, I'm sure the child feels that as well. Potentially. I mean, unless you sort of go into it with the frame that it's not, it's not exactly the same thing. The reasons for control during the day may not be the same as loss of control at nighttime. Yeah. And I think if you're listening to this and your child is like getting into potty training or you're not there yet at all, We just want to make that clear that bedwetting is not potty training and that it takes a lot longer for most kids to be dry overnight. It's not in their control. And sometimes much, much longer for some reasons we'll we'll go into a little bit later. Yeah. So again, good nights are nighttime underwear that come in a range of sizes for a custom fit. So your kid will stay dry all night. And then the benefit is that you're not having those middle of the night wake-ups that can be quite upsetting. Everybody is getting a good night's sleep. And also you're protecting their confidence because they're not feeling the shame. They're not embarrassed. It's just a part of their nighttime routine and it just becomes normalized like you were saying. Same thing as when they were younger and they were wearing diapers and it was just a normal thing. So really it's about how can you best support your children through bedwetting, like through their journey. Every child's bedwetting journey is going to look different just like everything else in parenting and like you were saying the age range is it's really variable really yeah but I think people don't understand that because people are less likely to talk about it so it creates like a stigma around it and I mean you know if you're if you had the same experience as a child you may sort of project that on to your sort of parenting style as well right and I think that's part and parcel of the, the whole thing too Another super important message for parents is that 
bedwetting is nobody's fault. I think it can feel, as I said before, you're all excited, proud that your child is fully potty trained. And then if they start to experience bedwetting, which is totally normal, very common, you almost either like not necessarily blame the child, but you're like, what did we do wrong? Like, why is this happening? And again, that's implying that it's something that's in your child's control, which it's not. And we'll get into what actually causes bedwetting. Last time we talked about bedwetting, I posted a TikTok about it. And so many, I think it was when you were explaining what causes bedwetting. So many people in the comments were like, this completely changes my perspective on bedwetting and like how we're handling this in our family. I think it's probably, you know, people think it's more of a behavioral thing rather than there are multiple different factors that can be contributing to it. And I think understanding that was more beneficial when it comes to, you know, your approach to dealing with it. Yeah. So again, for us, we really made an effort, literally like Oscar worthy performances (laughs) (laughs) when he would wake up in the middle of the night upset Because he was so upset, I was trying to work really hard to like, you know, like overcompensate for it. And yeah, the easiest thing for us was let's make good nights a part of our nighttime routine. You're taking away that stress from us, from him. He's comfortable all night. He stays dry. It's a no brainer. And it was for us. And it ended up working perfectly. He used them for... How long would you say he used them for? I think he was, he was been completely dry since he was about three and a half. So maybe a year and a half that we were using them consistently. And then I think, like you said, he basically just told us one night, I don't need these anymore. Yeah. We were like, okay, man. So again, and it's upsetting for them regardless of how the parents react. So you might think... Maybe you don't want to put them in good nights because we're going to get into some of the myths about using good nights. And one of those is that it would delay the end of bedwetting. We'll get into it later, but that is not the case. And your biggest thing when we were talking about this last night was like, how can we best support the child going through this? It's just like any other behavioral kind of milestone, you know, you just have to support them until they get to that point, right? I think it's, if you're trying to be too active in in terms of making things go faster or, you know, addressing regressions, I don't think that's going to be beneficial to anyone. So support is is a very important aspect of things. And this is just one kind of tool. Yeah. In my mind, it's like, Consistently using good nights if your child's experiencing bedwetting makes them more comfortable overnight. You're protecting their confidence because they're not going through those, I don't want to call it traumatic experience, but upsetting experiences in the middle of the night. You're ensuring that they have a good sleep, you have a good sleep. It's kind of like a a no-brainer. I wrote in my note here, it's not rocket appliances. If anybody knows that quote, I thought you guys would laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, so as I was saying previously, I don't think a lot of parents, maybe they do, I don't know, but I can see families going through something like bedwetting and not necessarily 
acknowledging what that experience might be doing to your child's confidence. So we have some stats here, which when I first heard these stats, I was taken aback. And that is that one in six children experience bedwetting. Again, you would never think that because people just... And I think, you know, a lot of the patients that I see who have been referred to me in the office for this kind of thing, you know, they don't realize the prevalence either. That's why they're seeking attention by their family doctor, you know, going to a urologist to discuss, you know, how to, how to deal with this. The biggest concern that sometimes comes through the door is how can we do this as quickly as possible? And, and that's the challenging part. It's, you know, you, you have to, again, normalize that it's a very prevalent issue. There's a very, there's a broad sort of range in terms of when kids are going to get control. And again, just helping them get through it and helping your own, your family get through it so that, you know, no one is negatively impacted by it. So the second stat that I wanted to share was that two out of three children who experience bedwetting suffer from low self-esteem. Obviously, that's upsetting. And then bedwetting, this was the most shocking one, that bedwetting is the third most distressing event for children besides divorce or parents fighting. I didn't know that either. Yeah, that is surprising. So conversations like this are so important because I feel like bedwetting is a topic that just kind of gets pushed to the side and nobody is open and honest about it. There's not a lot of information out there. People think it's in their child's control. There's also some stigma that's created with that, right? You feel, you know, the parents feel that maybe they're not doing and they're not where they should be when it comes to getting their kids to these quote-unquote milestones. And the kids are not, there's a stigma associated with being the, the kid that wets the bed still, right? And I think, you know, again, knowing some of these statistics, knowing not to stigmatize is the, the biggest sort of conservative thing you can do. Yeah. And so the question that I wrote down was then, why does bedwetting have an emotional impact on kids? And it's because of the things that you just spoke about. So there is a stigma. There is a sense of shame around it because I think there is still this idea that it's in the child's control. And we don't blame people for sleepwalking. We're not like, why are you sleepwalking? You know what I mean? It's something that's happening while they're asleep. It's just the the way you look at it, though. Yeah, it's like your perspective. And then also... I don't think people realize how common it is, which is why a lot of people don't talk about it. And then depending on how you're reacting, your child might feel like when it's happening in the middle of the night that you're upset about it. And again, regardless of how you react, if they see you're like, oh, like cleaning off the bed sheets and you're like frazzled because you're woken up in the middle of the night, they feel that. And that's probably the hard, like as a parent, I mean, I think that was probably the hardest thing for us, or well, me personally, to get, get through was trying not to portray or at least show that you were upset, that you were waking up. <laughs> you had to get up and <laughs> deal with that. Anyone would be, you know, annoyed by that. But just sort of realizing for yourself, you know, there, he had no control over that. We had, you know, just deal with it in the moment and then get back to, get back to your day. Yeah. And again, because I felt like even though we were reacting in such a a positive way, 
I still saw how he felt in the moment. And so for us, using good nights consistently every night just completely eliminated those stressors for everybody and let everybody have a good night's sleep. I mean, even if he did wake up in those those nights, you know, it was much less of a production, you know. He he wasn't as upset, you know, we would just change him and you know, he get back to bed. Whereas if we weren't doing that or using these tools, I don't think, you know, we would have had the same sort of smooth transition. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. So what can parents do to help with confidence? I think a big thing is, and people might not think of this, is to not celebrate a dry night because, again, that implies that it was in their control. And then the reverse of that is if they do get wet overnight, that that's not something to celebrate. Also, not weaponizing the use of good nights. So this was a big thing for us and why we used them consistently. 
because you don't want to be going back and forth and your child starts to kind of have this negative association with good nights like, oh, I wet the bed yesterday and so now I have to put these on. They will start to understand what's going on and almost see them as a punishment in some way. It's just kind of feeding into that whole stigma aspect, right? So reducing, you know, as much destigmatization as you can would be, you know, very beneficial. And then again, introducing good nights as a positive thing, a thing that's going to help us through our bedwetting journey, letting them know that, you know, you are going to grow out of this, like as you develop and making it fun. I know the good nights right now have Spider-Man and Hulk on them. You like, saw those at the store a couple of weeks ago. And he wanted them. And he wanted them. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't needed them in, in like over a year. I know. Every time I walk past them, I'm like, ah. Oh. No, he loves Spider-Man and the Hulk too. So that would have been great for him. But yeah, make it fun. Let them choose their characters, you know, set them up wherever you do your nighttime routine, have them pick out the good night that they want to wear that night and make it a fun, positive thing as opposed to, oh, you're experiencing bedwetting. So now we have to wear these, you know, kind of reverse the perspective. So why confidence is so important in children? We touched on this in a previous episode when we talked about potty training with Carrie Bruno, just to go over it again, when children are confident, especially children who are experiencing bedwetting, they will be more likely to take on new challenges, new experiences, things that are, you know, these key moments in childhood. So going on sleepovers, maybe there's a birthday party and all their friends will be there and sleeping over overnight camps, sports tournaments. This has nothing to do with bedwetting, but the sports tournaments made me think of my sister because she had stomach problems her whole life. And that was a big deal was her going out of town on sports tournaments. So my mom would drive her to like, you know, Toronto or wherever it was to support her so that she could still have that experience. But it's the same kind of thing. If if they have these things that make them anxious to leave home and spend nights elsewhere, how can we best support them? Also, kids often want to have sleepovers with grandma and grandpa. So if they are experiencing bedwetting, it's important to try and think about what barriers they would be facing to go and experience those things. So if they are confident, they use good nights consistently so they don't have that sense of shame or embarrassment or worry about wetting the bed, they will be more likely to go and experience these things. And I think if you're using it consistently, you're not going to have a situation where, oh, you know, it's a special occasion, so you have to go, you have to wear it or, you know, that sort of thing. So again, Taking away the stigma, making it, making it a routine or part of your routine, very important. Yeah. And then I was thinking too, if they are lacking the confidence and they are worried about doing these things outside of their own home, sleepover camps, sports tournaments, whatever, they could end up missing out on those experiences and those years they will not get back, which is also kind of sad. So 
you want to support and protect their confidence as much as possible if they are experiencing bedwetting and normalize it. Okay, so we're going to get into some myths. So the first one is that bedwetting isn't common. So how common is it? Yeah, so I mean, I think it, I was even surprised about this when you know, reading up on this topic again and, and to discuss it, you know, quite prevalent. I mean, upwards of 9% of nine-year-olds have more, two or more episodes of leakage at night every week. Up to 2% of adolescents have some persistent bedwetting to some degree, not necessarily a nightly thing, but you know, occasionally. And boys generally have a higher prevalence of bedwetting episodes and also sort of the length of time that, they're, that it takes to get control. So it's a lot more common than we than we think about, or at least that's you know widely widely thought about. Yeah, very common, way more so than what we would think. And also important to point out, and this is similar with the potty training, that bedwetting is not a linear path. You could be taking steps forward and then steps back, and might not happen for a while, and then it all of a sudden happens a few times. So that's important to note as well, because I think a lot of people assume things like potty training and bedwetting are linear, and it's like, oh, every day is going to be a little bit better. There's always going to be some regression, and, and just kind of working through that is, a, is a, one of the most important things. Next myth, that it's in your child's control. So what is actually causing bedwetting for the most part? So I think, you know, when patients come to see me or, you know, they've had their kids referred to me in the office, this is probably the longest discussion that we have, is that there's so many different contributing factors that can lead to your child still having bedwetting, even if they have control during the day. So, I mean, the, the biggest things... Bladder size, every child's bladder is a little bit different. They may not be able to store as much urine before they feel the need to go. And they may have some urgency that doesn't allow them to kind of get to the washroom in time or alert them enough to wake up at nighttime. The other thing sort of affects on the hormonal production in the brain, specifically the pituitary gland, produces a hormone called ADH or vasopressin. Normally, when kids have control, and in adults, for example, you have a higher production of this hormone at nighttime, and that reduces your urine production so that you can sort of get through the night. If you don't have maturity of that axis, of that, that hormone production, then you may not have this, the necessary amount of the hormone to be able to, to get through the night. The other thing is deep sleep. I mean, most kids, I mean, you know, with Milo, you can walk into his room, you know, jump on his bed and he won't wake up. Deep sleep is one of the biggest things as well. You know, if they're in such a deep sleep that they're not alerted to the fact that they have a full bladder, you know, they may not get that sensation and even not even wake up if they, if they do start to void. So those are a few different things as well. The other thing is environmental sort of changes, you know, moving to a different house, family troubles uh, as well, like if their parents are fighting, siblings are having issues, all of these sort of different environmental factors can also contribute to sort of a delay in nighttime control or even regressions if they've already had some, some nighttime control. I think that's important, understanding why it happens, because then it really like nails home the idea that it's not 
in their control. And I think, you know, the majority of people that are referred to me, which to be honest, I think nowadays when people have had the ability to have some discussions with their family doctors, with other sort of allied health professionals about this, you know, you you realize that it's not something that you can necessarily change. There's no medication that's going to help this necessarily. I, I think that there there are fewer people coming in to have this type of discussion because there's more education around it. So one myth that I mentioned earlier was that wearing good nights will delay the end of bedwetting. I don't. Yeah, I think that's completely myth. I think supporting your kid through this sort of change, this, this maturing of their own body is the biggest thing you can do. I mean, we experienced that with Milo. It all depends on how you're looking at it. And again, like we said, not to stigmatize the use of any tools like good nights and sort of normalize them, make them part of your routine. It's not going to delay things. It's, you know, it's not a crutch in this situation. And it's funny because a myth like that, once you know what causes bedwetting, why it's happening, then you can easily dismiss myths like that because clearly that has nothing to do with why it's happening. So it's going to happen. They're going to grow out of it naturally. So if you can consistently use a tool like good nights to help them be comfortable all night, not stress about going to bed, get a good night's sleep, protect their confidence. It's, like I said, it's a no-brainer. And also parents get a good sleep too. I mean, mean, not going to lie, that was a big big bonus for me anyways. Okay, interesting question. So how do you know when they're ready to sleep without good nights? And I think a good marker would be at least two weeks of consistent dryness overnight. Or in our case, Milo told us that like he was pretty well consistently dry overnight. And he told us and we were like, okay. And it happened a few times like here or there randomly. It's never been something that happens consistently consistently anymore. But I mean, I think even from the time when he told us he didn't want to wear his nighttime underwear anymore. You know, he, it's been, it was very infrequent that it happened after that. Yeah. And so I think just the, the most important thing is that when they are experiencing bedwetting and they're going through that is to use the good nights consistently so that it's not, you know, something they have only sometimes and because that just confuses them. And again, it can start to create a negative association between, oh, if I wet the bed, I have to wear this underwear versus this other underwear, you know, just have it consistent and just help everybody involved. Okay, so when is bedwetting a concern? I know a lot of people, when we have done Q&As, will ask, you know, my child is this age, like at what point does it become a concern? And if they do see a family physician, what are some of the things that they would be looking for to determine if anything's wrong? The big thing I would say is that there's no specific age for when your child should get control at nighttime. You know, like we said, that's a kind of wide range in terms of their control. There's also a continuum in terms of their path to get there. You can have some regressions where you're, you have dry periods for a while and then sort of regress back to having occasional wetness. I think the biggest thing would be if they had a long period of 
having you know, total dryness at nighttime, and then you start to notice a sort of a consistent pattern of worsening leakage at nighttime, that would be a concern. If it's a once in a blue moon type situation, then you know I, I don't think that's of concern. But if it's becoming you know every night after they were dry for a year, that you know, may lead to more investigations to look for organic causes there. The other thing would be if they had daytime dryness. So I said potty trained in the daytime, and then they start to to have accidents more consistently as well. Especially if those accidents are associated with any neurologic deficits, so you know, numbness, tingling, changes in their walking, for example, changes in their bowel habits. Also, you know, those are all potential signs of things like occult neurologic disease, things like spina bifida occulta, for example, which could, you know, be presenting with some of these, these symptoms. But I think, you know, the take-home message would be if they're dry consistently and then something abruptly changes that is consistent for, you know, a period of time, then you'll always get, get some more advice. If you're concerned, get some more advice as well. But if your child doesn't have control at nighttime, when they're 12 and they never had it, then it's probably, you know, just a benign, benign issue. Is bedwetting genetic? Definitely a connection there. You know, certainly about, I think it's about four times higher prevalence if there's maternal bedwetting. So if their mom had issues with bedwetting, definitely a higher prevalence. Why exactly? I don't think anyone really knows, but there's definitely associations. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. 
Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolavie.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. So the next thing we're going to get into is sleepovers, overnight camps, and travel. I think if you're a parent and your child is experiencing bedwetting, maybe you would be hesitant to send them on overnight camps or sports tournaments because obviously we're parents and we just worry about their well-being. We don't want them to feel embarrassed. So We wanted to give some tips and chat about this topic specifically. So obviously, if your child's experiencing bedwetting, it's going to happen whether they're sleeping at home or in a new environment and maybe a new environment. Maybe worse. Because sleeping in a new environment can cause anxiety. I'm 38 and I'm not going to lie. Like You need two sound machines. Literally. Earplugs. Literally. I'm the most high maintenance sleeper. And it's worse if I'm sleeping in a hotel or in an unfamiliar location. So consider that for your child as well. So the biggest thing I think in preparation for them sleeping elsewhere is to really think about the entire process put yourself in their shoes. Like what are some things that they might be nervous about? What are some barriers that might exist wherever they're going, whether it be a camp, sleeping at a relative's house? So you can think about these things, but again, you don't want to project that onto your child. You don't want them to worry about it. You want to focus on the fun when you're speaking to your child. So I think it's important to, again, get everyone on the same page. So if they are going to camp, speak to the camp counselors about it. Let them know that your child experiences bedwetting and they will be sleeping with good nights. One thing that someone pointed out, which was genius, was it's one thing for them to you know, get ready for bed, put them on before they go to sleep, then it makes them not anxious to sleep away. They know they're not going to wet the bed. They have that comfort, that peace of mind. They know they're going to get a good night's sleep. But also the fact of when they wake up in the morning, how are they going to dispose of the good nights? So is there going to be a covered garbage can in the bathroom because some kids might worry that other kids will see them. So yes, how will the good nights be disposed of in the morning? And then again, if they're going to be sleeping at a relative's house, a friend's house, let the parents know what's going on. Let them know that they sleep in good nights so that everyone is on the same page. You want to carry that same support that you're developing at home into these new situations. And it, you know, you can facilitate that in any way. I mean, do what you need to do. Yeah. And I think some people might have a worry that the good nights won't absorb enough pee. Overnight, we have a funny story. (laughs) (laughs) Where were we going? We're going to the The aquarium. aquarium. Yeah. Yeah. So we we were going to the aquarium with Milo and we had good nights in, because I think we just had his daycare bag, which 
again, when we sent him to daycare for nap time, he put on his good nights because that was his good night or his nighttime underwear. And he understood that when he went to sleep, he would wear that underwear. So we had it in the car with us. Of course, I spill my entire venti coffee in a cup holder in the car. And pooled up. It was just like a puddle of coffee. And we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? So Pre takes the good night diaper, pushes it in the cup holder. By the time we got back from the aquarium, bone dry. Bone dry. (laughs) (laughs) dry. Like the good nights was really heavy, but it sucked up an entire venti coffee. I'm not even kidding. But it is important for parents and for kids to understand that good nights offer incredible protection, they don't leak. They have five layers of protection, a double leg barrier. They absorb odor, which is something else that children might worry about. You know, are they going to smell like urine? And then again, they can absorb up to two eight ounce water bottles or a venti coffee. So knowing that about good nights, I think just gives both parents and kids peace of mind to be able to go sleep elsewhere. You don't have to be worried. A couple little tips that people always ask about. So should we be limiting drink intake in our children before bed? I recommend this to kids. I also recommend this to adults who are waking up to pee. You know, certainly limiting your fluid intake or your child's fluid intake A couple of hours before bed, if you can, as much as you can, can definitely be helpful. Trying to get them to pee if they have that control before they go to bed. They're just limiting the volume that's in their bladder. And obviously, avoiding any sort of caffeinated or sugary drinks, hop especially, before bedtime. Also reduces the sort of the amount of urine and also the sort of irritation to your bladder that can predispose to to having an accident. Okay, and why is it important to monitor bowel movements? Constipation is probably one of the biggest reasons for kids having urinary issues. You know, you don't really think about that. Everyone, all of the patients that come to me are, you know, what's wrong with their bladder? And I tell them, you know, how about their bowel movements? Are they having poops every day? Oh, no, you know, he, he has a poop every three days. We need to address that. A child's pelvis specifically is so small that the rectum is right behind the bladder. If you have a lot of hard stool in there, it's going to be pushing on the bladder and certainly can elicit some overactivity and leakage. So definitely managing any element of constipation is a very important thing. Awesome. Okay, we are almost finished. I wanted to end with some takeaway messages from this episode So first and foremost, bedwetting is no one's fault and you cannot train your child out of bedwetting. By saying you can train them out of bedwetting is implying that it's in their control and it's just not. So it's something that your child is going to go through and you just need to support them through it as best you can. Never praise or punish dryness or wetness. Again, this implies that it's in their control. Bedwetting should never stop kids from being kids. Going on those sports tournaments, having fun sleepovers with all their friends, good nights, nighttime underwear not only helps keep them dry all night, it also helps keep their confidence up so that they can carry on with being a kid and going to all these 
functions, whether it be out-of-town tournaments. You don't want them to miss out on anything just because they're, you know, dealing with this. Yeah, 100%. So using good night's nighttime underwear makes for superior protection and comfortable sleep experience, both for parents and for children. And again, reduces cleanup time. Even if they do wake up, if they have gone in the good nights, it's a quick just change of the good nights underwear as opposed to changing the entire bed. And then the biggest thing is to stay consistent with your nighttime routine. So using good nights consistently during their entire bedwetting journey, as opposed to like using them sometimes, oh, they were dry for four nights, like, well, let's take them off. And then, oh, they wet the bed, let's put them back on. That just confuses kids. It creates this negative association between... Like it's a punishment. Like it's a punishment, yeah. yeah. Or, oh, I only have to wear these because I wet the bed last night. So make it consistent, keep their confidence up, and both parents and the children will have worry-free sleep until they naturally just grow out of this bedwetting phase. So anything to add before we end? No, I think that was great. That's it. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. And thanks for coming on the podcast again. (laughs) What's for dinner? (laughs) 